This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 10 of the On The Banks podcast. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you want to listen to any of our previous podcasts, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Just search On The Banks Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher by searching On The Banks Podcast as well. You can find us on SoundCloud. Just search OTB underscore SB Nation. And of course, you can find all of our episodes at OnTheBanks.com. Also with fall sports here, we at On The Banks have so much coverage of all the teams beginning their seasons, such as football and men's and women's soccer. For coverage of those teams and more, make sure to go to OnTheBanks.com. Com. For episode 10, we will be joined by number 52 for Rutgers football, Eric Legrand, in a little bit. But first, game one of the 2018 football season is a couple days away, and I want to give my thoughts on both Texas State and the Scarlet Knights. Now, this Texas State team is one with a new quarterback, relatively inexperienced weapons besides one or two players, and a veteran offensive line that, while yes, struggled last season, is expected to improve. You know, their head coach, Everett Withers, has been around a few programs in North Carolina and James Madison before becoming the Bobcats coach in 2016 and has had success at his previous endeavors. Texas State is a team, you know, that people think will improve this season after posting only two wins in each of their previous two seasons. But I don't think necessarily that that wins improvement will start with this Saturday against Rutgers. You know, this is now three year three under Chris Ash. And this team has the talent and the schedule to win six games. And that journey starts to six games with this first game here. You know, with teams you overpower, the key is to get out to an early lead and make sure that once that lead is established, you build a cushion between yourself and your opponent. Upsets happen when teams are allowed to hang around and stay in the game. If Rutgers is able to click early offensively and is able to get some stops early defensively, this game should be smooth sailing for most of the second half. I know that with non-conference games, they're not always guaranteed wins, but I do think at the end of the day, the Scarlet Knights will win game one fairly easily. Now, game two, heading into Ohio State, I think this game one will give them a lot of confidence, and we'll talk about game two next week when we get to it. But I think this game one win will give them a lot of confidence going forward. And again, especially with the schedule, the way it's played out. Texas State, Ohio State, Kansas, Buffalo. Reasonably expect if you want to make a bowl game this year, 3-1. and one, That first win needs to start this week, and I very well think it will for Chris Ash here in year number three. Now, let's talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. He played at Rutgers from 2008 to 2010, and since his playing days ended, he has been an advocate for people living with spinal cord injuries and an inspiration to so many people across the country. I am now pleased to be joined by number 52 for Rutgers football, Eric Legrand. Eric, how are you doing? Thank you so much for taking some time and coming on the On The Banks podcast. I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Eric, let's start with your time as a Scarlet Knight, right? You did what so many Rutgers fans want to happen more often, and that is to stay home and play at your home state school. You know, you're not far from Piscataway. You're, you played at Colonia High School. Looking back at your recruitment, you know, why was Rutgers ultimately your decision to play college football? You know, it was, it was a great time to be there. You know, the program was on the rise. All the great games I went to when I was a recruit, the upsets I got to see when I was a junior versus Louisville, that senior year versus number two, South Florida. You know, you get a great education. It's right in my same county that I live in, Middlesex County. 
It's like, why why go somewhere else when I have all this here right here in my backyard and all my friends and family can come out to every home game to see me? It was, it was, a, it was, it was a great time. It really was. I believed in, in Shiano, what he was preaching, and that is why I stayed home. And, you know, look, in 2008 and 2009, those two years, you guys had really great success. You know, you went 8-5 and five and then 9-4. and four. You won both the bowl games you were in. How much fun were those two seasons? And, and specifically in 2008, right, you guys start off 1-5 and five and then ended up winning seven straight. What do you remember about that season and that run to get to a bowl? Well, I was actually going to say that first year did not start off. <laughs> that 1-5 and five start was terrible. It was, it was a miserable time to be around that Hampton, especially with – all that talent we had, and we were only one in five. It was, it was not the way I thought my freshman year was going was going to start off, and then all the position changes I was going through as well was, it was pretty crazy. But then once we got on the roll and got the hang of things, it was a lot of fun. You know, you're coming off being South Florida, you're being Pitt, yeah, and everyone else that we ended up going to be in that year, they end up in that Papa John's Bowl versus Russell Wilson, who I'm not going to lie, was tearing us up. <laughs> And then he got injured in that second quarter, right going to halftime, and then come back, and we were able to mount to come back and win that bowl game, and you know, win seven straight games, and that was a lot of fun. I'll tell you that winning is it's 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 a lot of fun. Well, and that one in five season started, oof, oof, it was not fun being around there. And I'm sure, look, you know, you mentioned it; it was not fun being around. I'm sure, Coach Chiano at that one in five start was was not a very happy man, um, especially coming off previous two seasons. I'm sure he was not very happy to start off one in five. Oh, absolutely not. You know, he was he was he was the thing about him though, he worked even harder or you know, harder or even harder when we were one in five trying to fix things. You know, that's why I commend him because we could have easily folded it up at one and five and, you know, maybe win one or two games to call the season. But no, he made us grind. He knew what we had and he believed in us. And that's why we were able to win seven straight games from there. He knew how to win games in the system that it took to win games. And once he knew that we were just one step away from everything clicking. And once it did, you see, we were scoring points like it was, it was crazy. And look, so you played under Coach Chiano, you know, here at Rutgers. Just talk about the kind of impact that Coach Chiano had on you, both on and off the field. And I want to just talk about your relationship with him overall. You know, now that he's at Ohio State, what is your relationship like? Are you guys still as close as, as you were, you know, back when he was at Rutgers and, and with Tampa Bay? Yeah, you know, we still, we still talk every now and then. He's, since he's now coaching, he's, he's more busy for sure. But I'm actually probably going to give him a call this week or next week because I want to come out there for the Ohio State game with some friends. So it'll be nice to catch up with them and hear how camp was and things like that. But he's, he's been a big, huge impact on my life. You know, when you're there as a player, you know, he's, he, he turns young boys into men. And it wasn't always easy and it wasn't always fun. But he made sure that we were always prepared for life after football and also prepared for the NFL if we had, you know, were blessed enough to be able to make it there. He was setting us up for that. He wasn't trying to be our friend. He was trying to be our leader and our mentor. And that's what we all needed. And that's what the program had with him. It was it was like I said, things weren't always fun, but he made it work, and he knew how to win games with us, and he knew how to develop, like I said, young men into that coming as boys and turn them into men. Your injury happened in 2010. I want to fast forward a little bit. A year later, after you know, you returned to the field for the first time in a blizzard, nonetheless, and you led the team out of the tunnel against West Virginia. 
you know, what were the moments like leading up to your return? And then when you led the team out of the tunnel, just talk about the experience of being back on the field in front of fans with all your teammates by your side. Well, first of all, I remember waking up that morning and seeing all that snow five feet of snow on the ground. And my mom comes in my room and she goes, Eric, are you going to do this? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? All the adversity I've been through and I decided to the game I was going to do it, I'm absolutely doing it. And my mom knows with my injury, I can't really regulate my temperature because my my just central nervous system messed up from the injury. So I'm always cold. So she's like, you're really going to go out there and all that snow and lead the team. And I'm like, I got to do it. I said, I was going to do it. and I'm going to do it. So I remember being in that tunnel and seeing my team come down. And I, I was freezing before that, but then I just got a huge adrenaline rush. And then I remember leading them out with Kasim and Scott Malone and then Watkins and Mo Bacchini by my side. And we came on, we walked all the way out there. And I remember Shiano breaking us down and saying, Lord, heal this man. And we just all said, amen. And then broke it down family on three, one, two, three family. But the one thing that almost actually got me to choke up, and I never really choke up, but I saw Brandon Jones and uh, Wayne Warren were crying. And it almost got me. I'm sorry, not Wayne Warren. It was Brandon Jones and Steve Harness. They came up to me and gave me a hug, and they were crying their eyes out. And it almost got me for a second. I remember I felt that little frog in my throat. Like, <laughs> Let me, get, let me get it together, get it together. And then I rolled it off, and it was just a moment that I'll remember forever. And, you know, you mentioned some of your teammates, right? Steve Boharness, you know, Kasim Green. What is your relationship like now with, with those guys that you played uh, with and those guys that, you know, you went through the grind with uh, here at Rutgers? Just talk about, you know, your relationships with them right now. No, I still talk with a good amount of them. I'll actually be with Kasim later this week. He is running a mentor program, and He's bringing over a kid that he, that he thinks you know would would use some use a lot of help with my advice that I can give him. So maybe with Kasim later this week. Um, we're supposed to be celebrating my birthday with Scott Malone, Devin Watkins, and uh, Bo Backity going. Really, Bo Backity, Devin Watkins, and mine's all birthdays. So I'm, I still hang out with them. I was with them last week at SummerSlam. So I'm still we're still close knit. When we say family, we really need to eat everyone. Of course, has their groups like that you that you hang out with, but. When we all get back together at Rutgers, it's like we never missed a beat with each other, and we just started telling stories, laughing, and just checking in on life where we're all at. Even though we all follow each other on social media, so we know kind of what's going on in life, it's just good to see everyone. It's truly a brotherhood that we built with our time there because we all went through the grind together. You know, we talked about Coach Chiano earlier, right? And Yes, he was your coach at Rutgers, but he was also the man who signed you to a free agent contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? He gave you the news, you know, just talk about what it was like when he called and when you got the news that, you know, you reached your dream of getting to the NFL. What was that like? You know, how surprised were you? And, and I guess what was going through your mind when, when he called you? Well, I was in complete shock because he just called me to, you know, he was just catching up on everything and like asking me how class was going and stuff like that because this was in May, it was right but as our finals were really kind of about to get started up and just asked me how the semester went, you know, how's rehab going and then I took that conversation. He was like, Eric, I wanna I wanna what's gonna bring you on to the Tampa Bay roster. I'm like, What do you mean, coach? Because we wanna sign you as the ninetieth man on the roster. You get to sign the NFL contract, be a part of the part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers forever and we wanna bring you down here and get you get uh, you around the team, get everyone to know you and I was just like, What like this is it's incredible, you know. And he goes, yeah, this was this year was your draft class, and I know how much it meant to you trying to get to the NFL. And you know, unfortunately, you know, with the injury, because you weren't able to play, but we want you to be a part of this 
NFL legacy forever. And I was just like, wow, coach. You know, thank you for making my dreams come true, even though I could never even play a down on football in the NFL. But I still got to sign an NFL contract and retire three months later. You stayed with football and with the Rutgers program now in the broadcast booth. Was being a broadcaster always one of your dreams, you know, had football not worked out? And I guess how much fun is it to broadcast a team that, you know, you once played for? Well, yeah, I was, my dream was to always go to the NFL, retire, and then become a sports broadcaster. That was, that was my goal. That was a dream, and that's what I really wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I thought I really, I really had a good chance at it. And once I, start, I stopped playing football, I remember I was talking to Tim Pernetti and, um, Tim Pernetti and Jason, I was like, yeah, you know, I really want to do this broadcast and stuff. And I go, I want you to try it out for the spring game of 2011. I said, really? You like it? He goes, yeah. Chris Carlin would love to have you. Same as Ray Lucas. And I went up there, and I realized how easy it not is not. <laughs> you know, you really talk, especially being on the radio, you're, they're people's eyes, so you got to talk and explain everything. And I remember I started, I was fresh out of football, so I was speaking in terminology that, only people that play for Rutgers would understand. And I remember Chris Carlin was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 back up! You gotta, gotta <laughs> slow down for me. You gotta, you gotta, you, you, you gotta, you gotta break it down. Like, like I'm dumb and I have no idea what's going on right now. Break it down to football one on one because the people listening have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just like, oh, I mean, I'm just thinking everyone knows exactly what's going on, but no, so it was." It was very interesting to start it off, but I really enjoyed it, and I love being around the game, and I love breaking down the game and seeing it from that high view up there. It's so much different from where I was used to seeing it out the field, so seeing how everything comes into place, I, I, just, I love doing it. And like you said, being able to do it for the team I played for is amazing. So before we talk about all your philanthropic work, I want to talk about this year's team because, you know, game one against Texas State is right around the corner. You saw this team practice a little bit during camp. When BTN came, you contributed as well. What was your biggest takeaway from from watching practices thus far? Well, I, was, I got to tell the Big Ten Network when I was there, the biggest takeaway I got was the, uh, when the offense was in the red zone, they were converting on a defense. You know, that's always a big thing when you're in the red zone, a defense job is to make you kick a field goal. And the offense, of course, wants to score a touchdown. I saw, like, three touchdowns on defense, which usually does not happen from when I was playing there and even now. You know, you don't see that often, but the offense was converting in the red zone and scoring six points, which was awesome to see. So I just hope they can build off of that. The offense will get better. You know, I was seeing who's going to be the quarterback. I'm glad they're all pushing each other to get better because that's better as a program. We've got three guys fighting for that position, going back and forth. That means, you know, you got three, you got, you got, you got a good um, competition going, and that's just bettering everybody. And on the defensive side, those DBs, they're going to have to lead this defense this year. They've got a lot of playing time. They have a lot of experience. They're going to have to be leaders out there on the field. I know the D-line, and we're talking about everyone is younger and doesn't have that much game experience or they're not that deep. They're going to get thrown right into that fire. And when you get thrown into that fire sometimes, it's the best thing for you because that's how you really learn what you need to, what you need to do to get the job done because you don't want to keep on going out there and failing. And, you know, look, year three under Chris Ash, I guess what have been the biggest improvements you've seen going back from year one to now only a couple of days away from the first game of, of season three? Well, the depth of the actual program, I know I just said that the D-line doesn't have that much depth, but every other position does, and you see the size of these guys. And so 
know, of course, Chris has hiring Kenny Parker. You can see that they're really doing a lot of work with these guys and getting them to be Big Ten football players. When I go there now, I'm like, wow, look at the size of some of these guys and some of the weight that they're putting on in the muscle. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy to see, but it's a good thing. And you know, the more that he gets in his recruiting classes in there and Big Ten quality players, the better that they're going to be. You know, you just got to keep on coaching these guys up and developing them. And you can see from the time he's been there, he's been able to develop some of these guys into into good players. So I just think that it, he, he as he goes into year three, it'll be better. Hopefully they can get to six wins somehow and get that bowl game. That would be huge if they get to a bowl game and everybody will be on board for sure and will be coming down, coming down on Coach Ash. But give him those five years and watch how much he's changed this program. Now let's let's talk about everything you've done kind of away from football, right? And you've accomplished so much, and you raised so much money and awareness for people living with spinal cord injuries. You launched Team Legrand in 2013 and have since raised over $1 million for the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation. While you inspire so many, you know, how inspiring is it to you that so many people have given what they can and that all this money is going to, you know, assist people's lives and, you know, hopefully one day find a cure for spinal cord injuries? It's been incredible, you know, I came into 2018 knowing that we just have worked a million dollar mark for a spinal cord injury resource that we've been able to raise money for and it was huge it was huge for you know a big accomplishment we did it in um in uh pretty much four years which which was nice to see and i said to myself I'm like what are we going to do in 2018 now to keep on continuing this going and we found out that we just added three more events to team legrand which has been incredible in my annual flag football tournament because I thought, you know, football is me. Why not have that? Then we uh, we had my annual walk, which we raised over $100,000 each year, which is incredible as well. Then uh, I stepped out of my comfort zone a little bit and had a Zumba event, which was a very good, nice success that we have. Then I just this past weekend had a CKO kickboxing event, which was our first time doing that, which was a lot, a lot of fun as well. And now, one more event at the end of the, end of the year, which is the New Worlds Foundation, New Worlds Financial Group, which partners with Team Legrand, and we have an evening with Eric Legrand and a bunch of Rutgers uh, people come out, and we just have a great evening raising money for spinal cord injury research. So it's been incredible, and that's, it's, I always say that this injury doesn't discriminate from from anybody; it can happen to anybody at any given time, and unfortunately, they do happen every forty-five minutes. So. We have to find a cure for this one day, and I truly believe that we will and that I will walk again. And just the, all the people that are dealing with this, the 6.5 million people out there that are dealing with some type of paralysis, hopefully we can look at this as a common cold one day. You know, you mentioned all these different events, right? Two specifically that I want to highlight. One, the Walk to Believe, and the other, you know, you mentioned the Eric Legrand Flag Football Tournament, the first one you mm-hmm. had. Both these events, you know, they take place at High Point Solution Stadium, and they really bring the Rutgers community together. Just talk about the successes that both those those events had, and how excited do you get when you get to engage with, you know, so many fellow Rutgers alumni and current students during these events? Oh my God, I love I love it. That's I'm so happy that Rutgers actually allows me to host these events there and bring people back and bring the community around it and just learn about Rutgers. Like you get, like you said, you get the students to come out, you get the alumni to come out, you get your teammates out there, people that are all Rutgers and been around and get to just have a reunion. But I think the coolest part is the people that don't know about Rutgers really or haven't been around Rutgers football or been just around something like that that come out to the events, get to learn about it and then they'll hear about us and get to see, you know, our hospitality that we have and just a great time. 
and it makes them want to be a part of it even more. I think that's the coolest part, and we got to, we definitely get to do that with the walk. That brings so many people together from all different walks of life, and you know, and the Ruckers are not Ruckers. They come together and they learn all about what we're about and about a family atmosphere, being right in the stadium, things like that. And then this football tournament this year was incredible. It was a, a, a lot of competition out there, and they got to see some old Rutgers football players play. Got to play against them. Got to play with them. So it was a lot of fun. You know, you also took part in a Fox Sports web series, Mission Possible. This mm-hmm. series, you know, it really showcases the untold stories of people who live with different types of disabilities. I guess, you know, how gratifying is it for you to highlight those people that don't necessarily have the same name recognition that, you know, you do? It's huge, you know, you get to, because other people's stories sometimes need to be, not sometimes, all the time need to be shared, and sometimes they just don't have that platform to do it. So if I can allow them to share their story just for whatever it is, five, ten minutes that the, that the clip is, I think it's huge so people can learn about them and realize you know, that there's other people going through so much in this world and they're battling adversity every single day. And they are inspirations in this world, too, you know, and if they can help in any way, I think that's possible. I mean, that's what our job is, to try to get them recognition so other people can help them if they may need me or just support them and be around them and not look at them and turn their head the other way. No, go have a conversation with them. Trying to shed that light on disabilities where people don't feel awkward in those situations. you got to learn to feel comfortable being uncomfortable in those situations and have, uh, give them a really cool experience at the same time, but also have them be known. And that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to get funding from a sponsor so we can do season two because we got some really, really cool stories with some really, really cool people that are lined up ready to go. I'll mention one name. Mark Cuban is ready to jump in the episode already. So I am ready. I'm fired up for this. And just need to get a sponsor behind us so we can do season two again. You know, Eric, back in 2012 at the ESPYs, you received the Jimmy V Perseverance Award. You know, of course, in his speech, right, Jim Valvano told everyone, don't give up, don't ever give up. What does that quote mean to you, and, and how did that award and what Jimmy V stood for affect your life after your injury? I would choose don't, don't give up, don't ever give up. It's something I have to deal with on a daily basis when I get up in the morning. Am I, am I going to give up on Everything that I, I've done and just lay in the bed, no. It's, you got to keep on fighting. you got to keep on believing. And you know that everything happens for a reason. I was put here for this reason. So I can't give up. This is a responsibility now for me to get better and help other people out and just keep on being an inspiration for the people out there that are dealing with adversity and just in life in general. So that quote is huge for me. And receiving that award was amazing. And, you know, you've met, look, some incredible people through your different efforts and engagements and no matter how no matter how hard someone tries there's always those celebrities that'll leave you starstruck right has that ever happened to you you know where you met a celebrity and were just in total disbelief that you know you were meeting that person oh i didn't meet them but the only person i've been starstruck with so far is michael jordan and i've been in his presence twice he's about 50 feet away from me and i was too scared to go because it was michael jordan that's my guy right there. I got all his sneakers and everything. I just was like, that's Michael Jordan. And I've met J.D., Beyonce, Drake, and all these different celebrities. And Michael Jordan, I don't know why. I just I couldn't build up the confidence to go over there. I was just stuck. I was like, uh, that's Michael Jordan. A couple more, Eric, before we let you go. You know, I read a recent piece done about you by NJ.com, Steve Politi. You know, one of the big themes I noticed that you always try to make everyone around you happy and, and comfortable. You always have everyone else's interests, you know, towards the top. 
where does that self selflessness come from? Because you know nobody nobody would blame you if if that wasn't the case. I guess that was always me. I always like to see other people have a good time. I like to see other people smile. I like to see other people, you know, just living their life to the fullest. So that's what kind of where that selfless attitude comes. And if I could be a part of it and help that, like, you know, bring, get tickets so me and my friends can go out to a Mets game and tell you that that's what I'm going to do or go to this concert or be at this event here or do this. If I could have any help in it or say in it to make it happen, I'm going to do it because I just like having a good time with my family, friends, and just random people, too. I just like to make people smile. So that's kind of where that selfless attitude comes from. One more before we let you go. You know, Rutgers has had some great players over its history, but only one number is retired, and that's yours. How meaningful is it to have everything you've done, both on and off the field, recognized by the university you attended, the team you played for, and to have the number 52 placed at the top High Point Solutions Stadium? Oh, it's huge. That's my, that's my number, you know, and every time I get to go to the stadium, I get to see that number, and, you know, it's like when the signs, signs bright, you can see it from Route 18, it's just always, it reminds me of the blood, sweat, and tears that went into playing the game of football, and knowing that everyone gets to see that as well when it comes to the stadium, this means a lot to me, the history of college football, you know, it's the birthplace, and my number is there, I'm just a kid from Avondale, New Jersey, it's kind of surreal to think about, but I enjoy it, and I love it, and I embrace it, and I think it's probably one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. Eric, thank you so much for giving us uh, your time. We look forward to hearing you on the Rutgers broadcast this season. And, and thank you, you know, for being such an inspiration and, and helping so many people. You know, everyone that, that you come across, you know, is just inspired by meeting you. Thank you uh, for everything you do. And thank you for, again, coming on the On the Banks podcast. Well, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure to talk to Eric and to hear about his time as a player, his time as a broadcaster, and everything he has done since his 2010 injury. Beginning with his time on the field, you know, Eric talked about the 2008 season and how the 1-5 in five start turned into seven straight wins, including a bowl victory. You know, Coach Ciano, and he mentioned it, did not let the team fold it in after the poor start. And he rallied the players to a big win on the road against Pittsburgh, against a ranked Pittsburgh team, and eventually a bowl win against NC State and then quarterback Russell Wilson. You know, we talked about this year's team and how Coach Ash, you know, Eric mentioned it, he needs time. He mentioned, see what Coach Ash does after five years of being here and see the success that he will eventually have. He mentioned already the improvements that he's seen this offseason alone with the offense, specifically in their red zone play. You know, Eric contributed when BTN was at Rutgers camp, and, and Eric said the same thing. You know, the red zone play, when you're matching up offense and defense in the red zone, you see who can score or who can stop. And the offense scored, he mentioned, I think, three or four times, which he was very surprised about and, and very happy to see. And he's, he mentioned all the improvements he's seen from year one under Coach Ash to now year three. Specifically mentioned Kenny Parker and how these players under Kenny Parker and under the uh, training program are bigger, stronger, and faster than they really were in any of the previous seasons. We also talked about the injury, specifically after the injury against Army in 2010. You know, we hit on his return. Leading the team out in a blizzard against West Virginia, the image of Eric alongside Kasim Green and Scott Vallone with the rest of the team behind them, it's such an inspiring moment. Only a year removed from his injury, he braves the cold and snow and is there with his teammates that, you know, he mentioned he's still close to today. And to see that family atmosphere still surrounding those players that played with Cochiano, that played at Rutgers, it's so great to see. Eric has done so much for people living with spinal cord injuries. Team Legrand, over $1 million raised is incredible. 
all these events that that he puts on. He mentioned the flag football tournament, the walk to believe, the Zumba event, the CKO kickboxing event, and so many more. You know, it brings together the Rutgers community and people not familiar with Rutgers, and it shows the impact that he truly has. And his web series, Mission Possible, he uses his platform to highlight others and to provide viewers with stories of other people dealing with spinal cord injuries. And these stories and these people, again, don't necessarily have the same uh, platform that Eric has. They don't have the same name recognition that Eric has. And he highlights these stories and he lets people see that, as he mentioned, this injury does not discriminate at all. It can happen to anyone. And he really highlights all these people and shows just all the great stories that these people have. It's so inspiring to follow Eric's journey, and it was really such an honor to speak with him about Rutgers football and everything he does now. He's confident, and frankly, everyone else should be as well, that he will walk again one day. You know, he's beaten the odds time and time again and will continue to do so until that day is reached where he can step back on the field and then stand back up. Like Jimmy V, Eric won't give up. It's just not him. He won't give up. He won't ever give up. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when our next podcast is debuting.